What is up, Street Cop Fam Bam? This is Jenna Romano. I am here today. We're doing things a little bit differently. Usually I'm chatting with Dennis. Today I have the Red Ninja, Kenny Williams. So um, Kenny and I just want to talk about some stuff related to some of the work that I've been doing. Before I do that, I want to give a little intro about myself and how I got here, just for those of you who may be listening for the first time, just because Kenny's on here. So uh, maybe you don't know me, but you're listening because I got the man on podcast with me. So real quick, um, I am a retired psychotherapist. I was in the field for over 15 years, worked in child protection, child behavioral health services, out in the field, out and about, all that good stuff. Became a psychotherapist. I worked in a jail. I also got my dual license. So I'm licensed in mental health and also in substance abuse. Worked in some substance abuse agencies. Like I said, worked in the jail. I really, really enjoyed fast pace, quick moving, high risk work. Um, It really kept me moving and I loved it. However, I what I started to notice was that my level of burnout increased with the level of intensity of work that I was doing. It tires you out. So that's cool. Um, but I did experience burnout and I decided to make a change in my career, moving from psychotherapy to now stress and burnout coaching specifically for first responders. I have many first responders in my family. I am a law enforcement wife. Um, but I do have other first responders in my family, other law enforcement and fire. So I decided it's time to give back to those who give to everybody else, take care of everybody else. It's time to give you the secret recipe to all the mental fitness that you can think of. So here I am doing some training and some coaching on stress and burnout. So that's a little bit about me. Now I want to uh, say, what up, Kenny? How are you doing? How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to be interviewing you today. You're awesome. I don't know about that, but we'll make it <laughs> we'll make it entertaining and valuable, I assume. Absolutely. I also wanted to say too, like thank you. Because if anybody doesn't know Kenny that well, then they need to know that aside from being an interdiction mastermind guru. You are also a very awesome human being. Behind the scenes, Kenny's always guiding me and supporting me, giving me ideas about content, about how to reach law enforcement. Um, And I really appreciate that. So thank you. You don't have to thank me for that. But I I just think that what you're doing is something that is uh, needed and that law enforcement lacks at the current moment. Uh, I think we're making strides to go the right way. Um, But I think that with your knowledge, you can take it a lot further. Thank you. I hope to. I really do. I think that um, the stigma, the silence, the lack of knowledge, and uh, I think that those are just some of the many dynamics. I'm hitting some resistance, obviously. That's okay. That's anticipated. There's usually resistance with change. 
Um, but there are many, 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 many people who can relate to some of the content that I'm putting out. And that really makes this all worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. So. I, I think that, I don't know what resistance you're hitting, but I, I think that that, if anything, that's probably like a, an older guard in law enforcement. Um, I'm pretty open with a, a lot of the stuff that I've had to go through personally. It's nothing like that crazy that some of the people have, have experienced. But uh, when I start to open up about it a little bit, you see more and more guys and I've, I, you know, I'm starting my 15th year of the job and uh, guys that have about the same amount of time as me is ever open and receptive back and forth kind of give and take. And, and I don't get much pushback when it, you know, it's an open conversation about those types of uh, traumatic things that as cops, we all deal with. Yeah, definitely. But I also think that your personality invites that conversation. And there are some personalities that may not invite that conversation, depending on what they're putting out to their team. So, and I think that one of the, one of the first and one of the most important things is to have trust between team members without trust. I don't think that you're going to get that vulnerability that's needed to really process some of the stuff that you all, you men and women see out there every day. And unfortunately that some of it even becomes normal to you. Yeah. I, and I completely agree there. I think that, um, I don't know if I'm, I'm just open with myself, like, and I put myself out there and I think that that kind of gives it back. Um, if you put out the old school, like bravado thing that like, you know, we're tough as tough comes and that's just part of the job and, you know, just kind of deal with it your own way and keep it internal. I think that's mm -hmm. the old way. And, and I, I, but I understand what you're saying. Like that, that old way is not receptive to any type of I'm having issues internally and I need to get it out. It's more of, I'm not going to help you. And you kind of figure it out yourself. And that's how we've always done it type of shit, which is um, right. not very good when it's, when it's involving uh, traumatic issues or stress from the job or even stress from within the department and not even traumatic issues, just stress in general related to law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of that comes from leadership level. Cause I think that leadership definitely sets the culture. And I think, and especially now working with Street Cop and being exposed to so many different states, so many different departments. So it's not even just, you know, departments in my local area anymore. I'm talking with people across country and, and really how that culture influences that department as well. Uh, so, yeah. and I, go ahead. Sorry, I go. No, no, I completely agree. I, I think that there's going to be departments that are going to be really hard because the, the, the as you're growing up as a cop, you are in that mindset. And if you don't have that outlet to even reach out to somewhere else to like get a different perspective or a different mindset, and this is the way we've always done it. You just kind of deal with it yourself. You suck it up and go home and, or whatever like that. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, but there's somewhere there's going to have to be a, a break in that, that mentality. And uh, someone's going to have to change that culture from within. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and I, and I think that some of it is like ignorance is bliss. So it's like, yeah, this is the way that we've always done it. But I think that if there was a genuine conversation of like, look, suicide numbers are higher, you know, with, with the exception of this year, the, the number of officers who are dying by suicide versus dying in the line of duty. It's more. 
know? So, I mean, to me, that's an issue. Then, like I said, this year being a little bit different, which I, which puts some stress, some additional stressors, like there are different, there are different components to what causes stress in your profession. One critical instance we're talking about Two on more of a macro level, things that are going on politically and with the media. Uh, and three, like we're, like we're saying too, leadership level too. And they all kind of intermingle with one another. So um, I think that that definitely has something to do with it as well. Yeah, I agree. Like with, uh, like my leadership's phenomenal. They're, they're great. So I don't have that type of stress. And then the community, the state that I work in, the media, even in our state, um, doesn't portray a lot of that stuff that you're seeing on a national level. So if we do have a critical incident within my department, uh, that that issue is one of the three and it's not combining with a bunch of other stressors. So right. it's, I guess it's easier to address that one issue than trying to address that one issue and combating some other issues within sure. the department or you know, the citizens of the, the community or whatever. We yeah. were, we're very supportive. I mean, they're very supportive of us along with the media here. So it's nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you've told me that before. So I think that that's fantastic. And I think that there's a mix of that where I am here in New Jersey. And I think that ultimately, again, like it comes back to trust. So if Frontline believes that, in my opinion, and from what I've seen, if Frontline believes that administration has their back and has their best interest, morale is typically better. And when morale is better, let's face it, outcomes are better. People are better. People are healthier. You can't be healthy. You can't be, excuse me, unhealthy and expect to have competent workers. I mean, that's like one of my go-to things that I say all the time. How can, how can we say like we're demanding that, you know, officers are competent and, and productive and doing well and proactive when physically, emotionally, they're suffering? Yeah, you can't have both. You can't like... Uh, you can't have a cop going out there with a cloudy mind trying to make sound judgment calls. I don't feel, I, I mean, I just don't feel that, that that's a safe spot to be in. And if you don't have good morale, like then, I mean, that's, that's weighing on every single cop that's within that department. And, and when they're out there doing their job, they're not thinking clearly because they were so worried about with the internal of the police department than when they shouldn't have to be worrying about that. Yeah. I, had a, I had an amazing boss before we retired a few years ago. And he would always say, uh, my job is to make basically like everything that's happening within the department, you it's none of your worries. I take that all on myself. And then you have to worry about, you know, you go to your job, anything that happens out there, it comes, you know, to me, through you. And on, I will block everything. If there's some issues within the department, you'll never hear about them. And it was, it was amazing just to have that, like where he was that nice buffer where uh, not that there's ever anything bad with my department. I love my department, so I can't say anything, but he would always protect us in that manner. Like, you know, there, don't worry about anything that's going, taking place within the department. I will always protect you from that and as much as I can. And then you just have to worry about going out there and doing your job. Yeah. I love that. Reassuring though. It's, you know, it's like, okay, cool. At least my boss has my back no matter what the situation is. Right. Definitely. Very reassuring. I would Mm -hmm. assume, especially with everything that everything that you face every day. I mean, there are really critical moments in policing that you have a split second to decide what to do next. And I think that if there is any type of um, 
weighing factors such as, oh gosh, is this going to end up on the news? Oh gosh, uh, you know, am I going to be exploited for what I'm doing? Is this going to be misinterpreted? Um, you're going to have a hesitancy that could cost you or somebody else your life. Yeah. And that's mean, big. I mean, our, yeah, our decisions come down to tenths of a second. And if we're worrying about all this other stuff, that's several seconds going through our mind before we make a decision. And uh, yeah, it's just not a good situation to have. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. I've said this on other podcasts and, you know, I'll say it again. Just like when I'm talking to friends of mine or civilians, you know, um, I, the way that I explain it to them is like, look, at any given moment, I have to know how much equity I have in my house. Because if anything were to ever be exploited on the media, I have to leave. I w- like, I have to have a backup plan. And that's like a really scary thing. Now, that, that, that's not to say uh, I'm worried about what my husband's going to do at work. Not at all. I'm worried about something being exploited. You know, I mean, let's face it. The truth of the matter is that when he goes out to work, he has people videotaping him and antagonizing him. You know, and obviously that's a higher level of thinking and skill to not react to people or to react appropriately, but things are taken out of context. Things are clipped and edited, you know, and people don't believe that that happens, but it does. So knowing that and having that anxiety behind us is a, it's a frightening thing. It makes you really wonder like, you know, is this worth it? Right. So that's, and that's kind of when I talk about burnout, that's what I talk about is all of your whys and all the reasons why you do what you do and all the reasons why you don't want to do it anymore. And when your whys become suffocated with your why nots, that's what burnout looks like. What's the point? You know, why am I doing what am I, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? That negative mindset. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's just frustrating. Um, knowing that you're out there doing it for the right reason and perception can always be, um, perception can always be changed based on what agenda someone is trying to push, which is frustrating. Um, we, we don't yeah. become, the, it's not on wood. I mean, I don't, many cops that come out there that want to be, do bad things once they become law enforcement. And if anything with law enforcement, I am harder on cops than I am the average citizen. Once you take that oath, like you have a bigger responsibility to, to burden you put that on yourself. And um, if you're going to go out there and be a criminal as a cop, I I have zero sympathy for you. You took an oath right. and you have to live up to that oath. Totally. So, just frustrating. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when we talk about, like, you know, we're talking about all different dynamics of what's stressing out law enforcement today. Let's talk a little bit more about critical incidents. Um, so what do you... I mean, in my training, we talk about what a critical incident is. And I saw that you put up a post about this and I love it. And someone said to you, well, what's a critical incident, right? And um, my, my personal answer to that is, you know, a, it's your reaction to an experience. Um, and that could fall under a lot of different categories. Um, and some would be different than others. Some may affect other people differently. Uh, and may it, affect people more or less depending on the day that they have, the week that they have, other things that are going on in their life. So something that may not typically bother you may bother you on a certain day. But typically, you know, we say critical incidents, we're talking about um, sexual assaults, um, DV, officer-involved shootings, 
uh, things of that nature. So I want to know from you, and I think that, you know, you being so well-respected here at Street Cop, there are people who love you. And I think it's really important for them to know, you know, how things have affected you or even beyond that, how you've coped with things that have affected you. Because we're all human at the end of the day. Things are going to bother us some days. Like I said, other days, not so much. What are some things that you do to kind of keep your sanity, to cope with those unhealthy things? I mean, I say, like I say all the time in my trainings too, you guys are like, and girls are given keys to open doors of dysfunction that humans engage in that most people see on TV and get to forget about after they've watched it. And that's probably 0.25% of what you really see hands-on. So what do you do to, like I said, keep your sanity, cope, stay calm, cool, and collected? Tell me. So before I answer that, I just have a question with that. With critical incidents when it comes to cops, um, like as I, seeing a dead body as a cop, I mean, yeah. even that, even natural, like, not, you know, just an old person, you know, that was their time, passed away very peacefully in the night. But mm-hmm. for that, for the average person seeing a dead body, I would think that that would be a critical incident. For us, it's like a daily occurrence. Like, and, and I'm not talking like anything traumatic at all, just sleeping, passed away, is 99 years old, you know, like just everything. But you put an average citizen in that and they see a dead body at a funeral or, you know, at a wake or something, but like to see it happen in a house, I think that that, am I looking at it differently? I'm just curious based on the statistics that that one thing showed that I posted, it was astronomical. And I'm absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you're, you're desensitized to it from seeing it over and over and over again, more than the average person. So your definition of a critical incident, again, could be different than an average civilian. I mean, I'll I'll give you a a quick synopsis. One of my husband's friends was off duty and he was driving down a major highway, essentially. A a truck had stopped. Um, he He had stopped to help them. He didn't know who they were. He had stopped to help them. Somebody was having like a heart attack or a stroke. Something had gone on and the car was pulled over. He could tell that the individual was in distress just by driving by, I guess, the way that it was parked or maybe the car door was open. So he, this in the middle of the night. So he stops, he gets out of the car. Some girls are absolutely hysterical because their loved one had, like I said, unconscious stroke or heart attack, whatever it was. So he, his first instant, get everybody, get out of the car. It's like half in the road, half not on the road, major highway, everybody get out of the car. Um, so he's trying to get them out of the car in the midst of all of this. Uh, he sees another truck that's about to plow into the back of this one. So he's getting everybody out of the car. He's trying to get this person out of the car. He wasn't able to do that. And he almost got involved in, in the accident as well, because he was in the heat of the moment, trying to get this individual out of the car. Uh, he was not able to do that, but obviously not so great outcomes for that person. The other two people were out of the car. They were fine. They were saved. Um, but he had the instinct, like I said, to get them out of the car, 
to keep things moving and he knew how to react and he knew, he knew how to stay calm. So when my husband was telling, he was talking about this, I think one of my friends was here and she was like, oh my, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I can't even believe what that would be like. I, I don't even, I, how do you, how do you wake up the next day and feel normal? And, and my husband's like, we see that all the time. Like, you know, like, so yeah, the average person. And even in that heat of that moment, like hearing that story was traumatizing for this person. She didn't even like listening to the story. And he's kind of like, you know, yeah, it's what we deal with. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, a, a day in the life of, you know, sure. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess when I signed up for law enforcement, I, I, I knew what I was getting involved with, but I just never thought I would see as much, um, I guess, I don't know, like just that that type of, you know, bad accidents where you're seeing blood and stuff or dead bodies on a regular basis. And, and not even like in traumatic incidents, just like a dead body. Like that's pretty right. common. Like someone dies, we have to go and we see it. Like that's, you know, almost a daily occurrence. Like that's, or accidents where people were, you know, getting stitches and you're seeing like, that's a daily stuff that we see on a daily basis where, I mean, I don't know if the yeah. average citizen doesn't see all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, they don't, they really don't. I mean, even, you know, my, my grandfather passed away and my mom found him and we were there shortly after. And as soon as we walked in, my husband's like yelling at my mom, don't touch him. Cause he was on his side on the bed. He's yelling, don't touch him. Cause he knew that, you know, if you push him over, things are going to fall out. And you're, not going to be happy about what you see. But again, he, from based upon all of your experiences, I mean, he had that knowledge that the average person wouldn't have. They wouldn't know. Yeah, you know, that's what happens. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you have to become desensitized to it because if you're traumatized every single time you see it, as a therapist, I would say maybe this is not the right profession for you. No, I agree. And, and, so I hate seeing dead bodies. Like, I, I mean, I really do. It's not like this is fun for me. I, I don't like it. And uh, I don't know if this is acceptable, but like the, you ever watch the Simpsons, like Mr. Burns, that's how I like, I, I cope with it. Like I would just think these old people that passed away is Mr. Burns from the Simpsons and might be bad, might be bad. But in my own mind, that's just like, it's not real. It's not a real person. That's how I was able to, I still hate seeing them. Like, it's not like, yeah, it's not like, Oh yeah, great! A dead body, you get to go see one. No, I, I'd still not like. I don't enjoy it. It's just, I don't know the way I was able to cope with it. It was a like a cartoon character kind of. I, well, that's a different way to reframe it in your mind so that you're better able to cope with it. So that's a coping skill. There you go, Kenny. I've always Kenny named his first <laughs> Kenny named his first coping skill. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I think like so now I can speak as like my my own personal experiences as a therapist. So it was a little bit different for me. I wasn't really seeing things so much in action, even when I worked in the field um, in, you know, when I worked for uh, child protection um, or even after that, when I worked in children's behavioral health, we were going out to homes like that. That's all that we were doing. I saw some stuff in action at the jail, but not so much when we were going um, out to homes, I would see kind of like the aftermath. And so that's where it's a little bit different. So for me, it was, it was secondary in the sense that working with people who had been through all of these things, um, as a therapist, my job was to 
process it with them and help them become healthier and help them get through those hard times, specifically little kids. So it was really, really hard for me because hearing those stories over and over, you know, creating those visuals in my mind, the visuals that you see with your eyes, I heard with my ears. And especially after having kids, it was really, really hard. I mean, I say to everybody right now, good thing I worked for um, child protection before I had kids, because now that I have them, I don't think that I'd be able to handle that kind of a job. So, you know, when you have children who are telling you that they don't like sleeping on a bed because that's where they were abused um, and you're working with them to stop urinating all the time because they don't have control over themselves because parts of them are dysregulated um, because of things that they shouldn't have been exposed to. So those are the kinds of things that I would work with and I, it would be ongoing. So it was a little bit different. Your exposures are very chronic in the sense that you're exposed to all these different things over and over and over. For me, it was uh, more of I'm exposed to the same situation over and over and over again. And I, and I had to kind of keep revisiting and, re, and going back to these traumatic incidents, especially with kids. And, and look, you have favorable, favorable victims, you have unfavorable victims. And I had to work with both. And I had to work with perpetrators, you know? So they were in the jail. I had to work with child molesters. And some of them wanted to talk to me about some of the things that they had done therapeutically in a way that they would try to move past some of their guilt or some of their own abuse that contributed to some of their behaviors later on in life. So for me, it was secondary and it was really, really hard to deal with over and over and over again. Um, so I can relate to you all in that way. Like I said, it's a little bit different. But it's similar in the sense that there were certain clients of mine or certain situations of mine that I really had a hard time with. And I also had a, have a, I still remember, I still think about them. Like, well, I wonder where this person is. I wonder if they're okay. You know, I wonder if they're living a healthy life. Becoming like emotion, I, my job was to be emotionally involved with certain people on, on a certain level. Yeah, that's rough. I, I, I don't, uh, it's one thing in law enforcement, like I can try to explain like, you know, people are selling drugs. I get it. Like you're coming from a hard area. You can, you see, you know, this person struggling working at McDonald's, you see this person thriving and they sell drugs. I can understand that. I can understand that how you make that decision. I, I don't necessarily, you know, my moral compass is different, but I, I understand that when you, when you crimes against women and kids, I'll never understand. I just don't, yeah. I don't have it in me to understand. Um, I don't even know if I really, really want to like, uh, that's something that, uh, I don't know. That's where I'm like, I couldn't do your job because I would want to, um, I couldn't, uh, yeah, I just couldn't be sympathetic to offenders in that situation. Yeah. It was really hard to be unbiased, especially when things that they were talking about literally made me feel ill as a woman, you know? Yeah, so, and there were, and there, and, you know, being in the jail, I didn't, I didn't have, um, I wasn't able to say, I don't want to work with this person. I mean, in a in private practice, when I have my own private practice, I get to pick and choose who I see. But working in a jail, I didn't, I wasn't able to do that. Um, 
So, and I had to take care of certain people regardless mentally, you know, um, if they needed psychiatric medication, I had to see them regardless of what some of their past behaviors were. So it's definitely really hard. Yeah, that would be, that'd be uh, challenging for me to do. For sure. And I think that it does come back to that moral compass, like you were talking about. That's where judgment comes from too. It's like, I just, I can, I can try to put myself in your shoes. But there's just certain shoes that I can't put myself in ever. And I don't really want to. Um, and I can try to empathize with that person aside from their behavior as a human. But we're human and we have reactions to things yeah. based upon our previous experiences, based upon our moral compass, based upon our upbringing. There are a lot of different variables that contribute to what our quote baggage might look like. And I always tell everybody, you got baggage, you got skeletons in your closet, you become a first responder, they're coming out. Definitely. I think we all have some type of baggage though. Like we For all sure. Have. Absolutely. Definitely. So, and I think that it's really a matter of how do you deal with that baggage? Do you even know if that baggage is there? Yeah, that's true. So it's like level one is like insight, like developing insight and knowing like, and that's again, like in my trainings, the first thing that I say, like I have a list of different types of critical incidents, which ones bother you the most? And you'll know which ones bother you the most because when you look, which memories stick out to you the most? And you'll know right away. People start talking about that and um, you can start to identify that. And I always tell people, I, I like... I love my little stress meter that I use for people. So it's like, think of it like a little visual of, I don't know, a thermometer, maybe. Like a gas gauge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that too. I like that one. <laughs> so think about think about it in that term, like zero out of 10, 10 being like you're about to, to blow, right? And and so that's a 10. And zero is like nothing. So I always tell people. Be more mindful of, of your, when you're having a bad day and when you're feeling stress, we can stress, we can dive into and figure out exactly different, like different types of stress, but let's just, for the sake of this conversation, just say overall stress, you know, when you're stressed. Um, so I like to say like six, seven out of 10, when you get there, you got to do something to take care of yourself. You got to do something healthy to take care of yourself. And even I understand like when you're on duty, duty calls, you don't really get the ability to go take a nature walk. You know what I mean? But there are certain little things that you can do to help your stress levels, even when you're on duty. Um, And one proactive thing that you can do, I always tell everybody, bring water in your car, bring snacks in your car. You don't know when you're like going to have a really, really long day and be able to break and eat and get something to eat, think proactively. When I am hangry, I am not the best (laughs) me that there is. So I always tell people, I'm like, if you're going and you know that you work in a busy town where you might be back to back all night, make sure that you bring enough water, make sure that you bring enough snacks, you know, perishable snacks, I always say like bring protein bars, bring beef jerky, like whatever it is, you know? Make sure that you're able to care for yourself, do things proactively. 
but yeah, especially like anything six or seven or more on the stress level, even, even if you have to wait until you go home, like go home and, and do whatever it is that is healthy for you. That makes you feel better. I think that like, I, uh, I don't know if I've always said this, but I'm pretty like just even kill. Like, I, I don't know, like I don't get really excited about things. I don't get really down about things. Like I'm just kind of, just kind of there, just like going through life. And then I think seeing this job and I'm glad I don't like, sure. I would like to get more excited sometimes, but I'm like, yeah, but if I had that, those peaks, then I'd probably have peaks the other way too. So it'd be more of a peak and Valley thing where I'm just good. I'll, I'll stay right here. Like I'm happy with this. So you think that that's like just part of your regular temperament? I think so. Yeah. I, that's I mean, awesome. Someone might have a different perspective of me, but I, I just can't, I can't. Think Where's your wife, Kenny? And she's traveling for work, but, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, for the most part, like, like, uh, when I come home, my wife will want to tell me stories about like her day and stuff. And I just like, for me coping, I don't tell her anything. And then she'll be like, Oh, this happened. And that happened. She'll hear from other people. And I'm like, yeah, but like, that's, it didn't make me as excited as your job did to you. So I'd rather just listen to you. And if it's a bad thing that I saw or it happened, I don't want to necessarily revisit that. So I'm just kind of like, I caused your day. It's good. Like, that's it. Like, and, uh, I let her talk and you know, that's kind of how it is. I talk all day at work too, though. So she doesn't get the opportunity. So I come home, she just likes to talk and I I accept it. Yeah. But she's saying that she wants to hear more of your stories. Um, yeah, she likes to hear some of them, but she'll always ask, you know, like, or she'll hear something, something else, like from someone else in the department or something. And, and, She'd be like, well, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, it kind of didn't affect me either one way or the other. So it, I don't know. I guess it just wasn't memorable enough for me to say anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe she wants you to share a little bit more. I get it. I But if she's, I don't know. She seems to be, you know, if she's having a bad day, she likes to vent to me. If she's having a good day, she likes to talk about it. So for me, me just being here, like, I don't know. If, For example, when I get seizures, She's the first one to know about it, but that's kind of it. Like we don't necessarily talk about it or anything along those lines. And if bad things happen, I usually don't share those with her because I, I don't know. I don't think that I I can deal with it my own way. I just don't necessarily think that she, she would want to know about it. I, and it uh-huh. she, she would want to hear about it. Yes. But would she also want to be thinking about it after the fact? Like, is this going to happen again? Kind of. So you don't want to worry her. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So now we're getting somewhere. Okay. <laughs> but so all the way back about 20 minutes ago, you asked me how I deal with coping with stress and stuff. No, totally. We're on a really good flip. Where are you going? Why are you leaving? No. I was going to explain. So like I work out every single day. My okay. beer, like literally at least an hour a day, I will go work out no matter what I feel like or anything. Uh, that kind of just lets me unwind a little bit, no matter what cool. the situation is. Um, and then my wife, I, this thing I have to disconnect from. So about once a month, my wife will make me leave for two days. And then like, we'll go, you know, like, um, even if it's a short trip, we'll go somewhere for the weekend or something. And, uh, she kind of hijacks my phone for the majority of that trip. Okay. I think, I think that's the biggest thing that I, I, being an instructor now, I try to be available to everyone all the time. Yep. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I just have to find that happy media to make her happy. I know. So, but that constant sense of responsibility is like. Yeah. But I mean, unless it's like a, 
don't know. I think two days a month is good that I can just give her my phone if it makes her happy. It's not even a full two days. She'll let me like, like uh, she'll take it for a dinner and, you know, for the evening okay. or something. So I'm like, yeah, I get that. I'm okay with it. I try to, I need to be better at that. I know I do, but that's some, that's another way that I can disconnect from police work and not have to worry about it and think about it. I like that. And she so knows, technology breaks exercise. And she knows. Yeah. Like, and I literally, like when we leave, like if I stay here and we're like, Oh, you can't use your phone for like eight hours. It doesn't work. Like she has to physically remove me from this area or I will be on my phone. So, she, so really, like, yeah. So we'll go. Yeah. We'll go right. a couple hours away and hang out for the weekend or something. Just for, it's far enough away that I'm not readily available to my phone, but close enough. If something major happens, I can come back. Okay. So, I like cool. that though. But you're, but you're okay. Again, insight. Insight is a really powerful weapon. You know that if you have it like in your physical presence, you're going to be on it. So the, the tactic that you're using is to allow her to take it. So it's not an option. Yes. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I think that we should all take a technology break too. I think that that's a really healthy thing. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, and what with technology, I live in my bubble. Like people like, you know, like there's the city I work in, they have like these like, I don't even know, like the pages on social media where they like talk about gossip and stuff. And like, I literally just have to, rem- I live in a bubble. Like I really do. When it comes to social media, like if you start posting things that I don't like, I just meet you for 30 days. And if you come back and you're still posting the same things, I will unfriend you. That's just the way I am. And uh, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but again, this, Love is, it. this is my world and I want to live in it the way I want to. I don't want to see negativity. And if you're going to post negativity, I'll remove myself from your negativity. I love that. I do the same thing. I have unfriended people. Yeah, I do. And it's nothing it is per- what it is. It's nothing personal. Like if you had your own personal beliefs, I would value your opinion and stuff but it's at a certain point i wouldn't i wouldn't lose a friendship over politics or religion or anything along those lines but i also don't want to see it every day so exactly so, so, you well, know, and that will help preserve the friendship yeah so if you if, don't have to see it every day 100 so if we have conversations and this never comes up face to face and you know this is not a debate but then you post things socially that are debatable and then it gets in a debate I, I just don't want to see the negativity. So I agree. So that's another one then. One of Kenny's secrets is that he surrounds himself with positivity and he eliminates the bullshit. Try to do the best I can. Definitely. And I think that that's like specific to law enforcement. I think that that is definitely a healthy thing to do. And, and like what you're saying too, Kenny, it's not like I'm at the end of friendship but I don't want to look at it all the time. And if we get to a point where we're face to face and it comes up and we are not agreeing upon things, we can either agree to disagree or if it's that important to both of us, we can take time out. Yeah. Or we just don't talk about it. If you feel so, you're not, there's, you know, we're adults. There's no way that my opinions or my political view or anything along those lines is going to convince you to change the way you think we can just agree not to have this conversation and we can mm-hmm. talk about everything else. Just this mm-hmm. one thing we don't see eye to eye and we agree not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's really hard right now. Definitely. I, I hear from like a lot of different people that like family members are very vocal 
about certain things or I've, I've heard that people were disinvited to weddings because their husband's a cop and this and that. I'm like, wow. So like social, social networks are changing. Um, so, and that's hard for people. That's really hard for people. I mean, me personally, I've, I've had, I've, I've had very heated debates with people that I love. Um, and some have not been positive outcomes, but to me, it's really important at the base of everything, like to be around people who support me and support what I stand for and what I'm doing. You can't get on board with that. Then you can't really get on board with me. I agree there. I, I, I think if people are going to be that, um, take it like a skin deep and, and literally not take you into, or anyone a, into their person who of who they are, just mm-hmm. because, just because they're what they're going to lump every cop together with maybe a very few bad ones that that's your perspective. Not like, well, how, how, I don't know, how deep is our actual friendship or even our, our like, I don't, you know, like our family, like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't see, I can't, I can't understand that perspective one way or the other, like I lumping people together. Like, so you think that I completely changed who I was but the moment that I became a police officer and everything that I stood for, my morals and my, my core values are now completely different. That's not possible. That's not, it's really not like, and no matter what department you work with, like you still have your morals and your core values of who you are as a person. Right. Uh, I don't think that that gets changed to a, a completely different realm the moment you become the police. And for people not to understand that or accept that, I, that's that's on them. And I wouldn't, yeah. I would, I wouldn't worry about it. One of the greatest tools I have as, as, a, as a human, I am uh, very capable of just not, I could write you off and not talk to you ever again and be completely content with it. Like, I don't know why, maybe that's because I'm an asshole or I have a little bit of it in me, but like, I'm good with it. Like, okay, cool. Like I, I it, I don't lose sleep over that stuff, which is strange, I guess. Um, but I'm good. Yeah, I'm completely content with that. I'm surprised, but in a good way. Yeah, I, I don't know how I got that. My my wife even says like she's like you're always like the bigger person, and you can just be done with it, and it's over. I'm like yeah, yeah. I just move past it, and it, I don't know, and I and I don't have to. You could be a complete asshole to me, and and I don't, I won't readdress it. I just know where it is, and then I just won't talk to you ever again. And I'm good with that. Yeah. Or my wife wants to try to explain her side and justify. I'm like, there's, uh, uh, there's why at this point, like, it's just, I'm good with you. They have their opinion. I have mine and I would just never talk to him again. Yeah. Less is more. I agree. Well, I don't know. I'm a more is more type of person too. So I'm more, I'm more like your wife. I keep my, my, my circle very small of people that I, uh, that I trust and, and I like it that way. Yeah. All right. So then I like that one too. So then we have technology breaks, we got exercise, um, and really like keeping a healthy, positive support system. I like that. Cool. Did you even know these things or like, no, I just kind of, (laughs) yeah, I'm just talking about myself. (laughs) I love this. Great. (laughs) Awesome. So, um, we're going to have to come back to your wife worrying. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No, I know. You just, we started to talk about it, but this is a big thing. I'm a law enforcement wife, right? So like I'm on the other side. So now like I can speak for your wife. You can speak for my husband. Okay. Okay. So 
and, and granted different personalities, your wife could have a completely different personality or, you know, coping skill kind of style than me, but granted the consensus, when I talk to law enforcement, enforcement wives, the consensus is like, I wish that they would talk to me more about what's going on on the job. And the consensus of law enforcement says, I don't want you to worry. This is something that I hear all the time. I don't want you to worry. Um, I don't want to bother you with it. I don't know how you'll handle it. I don't, I don't think that that's mine though. I honestly, like, I think that the reason, um, so if it's a really bad incident for me personally, I don't want to relive it. And by me, Mm. it's like, I, if it's bothering me, me up, I have a friend that's a a psychologist and I, I kind of just vent to him. It's not like there's any like, like, I'm not asking for anything. I'm like, Hey dude, can I just talk to you for a little bit? I get Mm -hmm. the author and he doesn't like give me advice or anything. He just kind of listens. And I'm like, I'm hoping if I say something where it's like, Holy shit, you need help that he would tell me that. But in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of like just me to vent, to get that out of my mind, but to relive it. um, I I don't necessarily always want to, I saw it once. If I talk Mm -hmm. about it again, I'm replaying it in my mind and I kind of just don't always want to do that when they're negative things, when they're negative things and the positive things I'm all about talking to, you know, like I'm okay. But if I come home from work and she's excited to tell me something, I just let her talk. I'm not going to be the one that says, Oh, let me interrupt you and tell you about my day. Like you're more than Mm -hmm. like, I'm okay with that. Do you think she wants to know if you have a shitty day? Uh, I would bet that she would, if I, you were to ask her, <laughs> she would want to know. I, I was going to try to play that off somewhere, but there's no way. Like, yeah, if I was having a bad day, she'd want to know. Yeah. Do you think that there's a way to talk with her about a shitty day without talking about what was shitty? If that makes any sense. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> I always say my husband has a few different kinds of days and granted again, I, I have a different background than your wife. So, you know, I, I, my husband knows, I mean, because years before he was a police officer, I was still a therapist. So I would come home with my, my war stories and he'd have to listen. So, um, I, I think that he, uh, he knows that I understand and that makes it, I think a lot easier. And like we said, so trust is a big thing for people to open up and be vulnerable. I think that knowing that someone understands what you go through is, is also really important too. But he, he has different kinds of days. So like he comes home some days and he'll want to talk. Like, he'll be like, okay, I had a case today. And he'll just, he'll just kind of like go into it. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, really wanted to watch my Netflix tonight, but all right, no, so I'm like, okay. You know, and I just kind of listen and I try not to ask too many questions because I noticed that when I ask too many questions, like the therapist in me needs the full picture, you know, like I need the full scenario to draw an assessment. So I'm like, okay, turn off therapist, be wife. So just listen. And then there are other days where he comes home and that man will spend like two hours in the bathroom. And I'm like, boy, I know you're not going to the bathroom. <laughs> But I try to chill and lay off of him because I'm like, whatever it is, it might not be a critical incident. It might be bullshit at work. You know, it might be like the politics at work. It's personalities and the banter that goes on. 
There are a lot of different things that stress you guys out. It's not just the critical incidents. So some days I know that he just needs to like go on there and I don't know, flick through to Facebook or whatever else. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no, I'm, I'm like half joking, but whatever it is, I know that he needs to decompress. He doesn't need any outside noise right now. And I try not to take that personal because a lot of people can take that personal, especially if they've been waiting for quality time with their significant others, if they have stuff that they want to talk about. And then like, then there are some times where I could just tell that he's like off, but he just wants to be around us, but he doesn't want anybody to talk. Like, it's like, I don't want to talk about nothing. I just want to watch TV and be around the kids or play with the kids. And I'm like, okay, but I can tell when something is off with him. I know when his personality changes, I know when things happen. And I think that that's like, rose with emotional intelligence and attunement to people. Um, so I guess like the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes he doesn't want to tell me what happened, but sometimes he just wants to tell me that something bad happened. And I, and I have to respect that and be like, okay, what do you need? Just let me know what you need. You know? Okay. You need to go watch TV. You need, like I said, to play with the kids. You need alone time. Just let me know and I'll give that to you. I'll do my best. So, I mean, even on bad days, it's it's okay to still communicate that to your significant other. I understand that you don't want anybody to worry that a lot of husbands don't want, and a lot of wives, right? I don't want to be gender specific here, but like a lot of individuals, they don't want their significant others to worry naturally because you you know what we'd be worried about. But let me tell you something. We worry no matter what you tell us, no matter what you don't tell us, we still worry. Because we know. We only know what we know. Sometimes if we don't know a lot, that could create more anxiety than knowing. That makes sense. I mean, during the the past, um, like the protests and stuff that we were having, there was a lot of misinformation on social media and... uh, Mm -hmm like all kinds of crazy stuff. And you know, that made my wife worry a lot. And sure. when I had time, I was able to tell her that social media is wrong and we are whatever it was saying, you know, so I would always in those situations at the moment I could, I would reassure that everything was fine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, well, you know, like when I had some serious um, traumatic issues on the job happen, I, you know, I was open about it and then I explained it, maybe not with all the details, but I, you know, explained enough where I was able to get it to her and she would understand where yeah. it's not necessarily something that I just, I'm a pretty open book when it comes to that stuff. Like I just, there's just certain ones that I don't want to tell you all the details. Maybe I'll tell you this much of it and yeah, enough for you to understand. And I don't have to go into all the other stuff that I'm seeing. Yeah. So, I don't know. Enough to feel understood. Yep. Enough for okay. her, yeah, or, or enough for her to understand what happened without totally several the detail. Yeah. Right. All the details, the total transparency. Yep. And I think that that's good too. I mean, unless you're dying to tell her these details and you're, you know, that kind of thing, like you feel like you're holding back. I don't know. Not really. I. I, yeah. I don't necessarily would want to tell anyone a lot of those details yeah but your psychologist friend i yeah because 
I've known him my entire life. So it's more of me just talking to my friend about things. And we've talked about everything yeah. before. It was a psychologist. So it's like, hey. Yeah. I love that though. Okay. Here's another coping skill, Mr. Williams. So another coping skill though, is that you, you do process that with someone. Yeah. Um, when you are ready mm-hmm. and to the degree that you're willing to do, to go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, agree. I agree. And it's, and do you find that to be helpful? Oh, 100%. I could talk about one specific incident. If you want me to go into it a little bit. Yeah, go for it. For sure. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, had, I don't know how many years. I, I don't know. I'm trying to keep it as vague as possible, but enough to get the idea. Um, yeah, whatever you want. I'll lay a foundation. So I lost my sister uh, a few years ago. And then uh, unexpectedly, all of a sudden she passed away. It was a very uh, traumatic thing for me to go through. She was like 30 years old and it, you know, it was a, it was a shock. Um, literally, I think it was 30 days to that, that I was in a traumatic incident where um, a subject had passed away. Uh, a company with my sister, like I've, you know, I, there was, it wasn't an offer to wall shooting. It was nothing along those lines, but it was traumatic to me. And uh, I had mentioned to some people uh, that it was, you know, like I felt horrible about it. And I wanted to, like, I just saw my sister, the whole thing. And I saw my family and I saw how upset it was and um, not a lot of answers. And, and I wanted to go talk to his family, the subject that passed away. And uh, I wasn't allowed to do that for like, I guess, legal reasons, um, which is understanding. But um, given that it, it still kind of bothered me and well, you know, I, when I was asking people for advice, I guess I wasn't getting the answers that, um, that you normally would in, in those situations. And, uh, some of the people at the PD were kind of just like, you know, be that tough guy, you know, it happens, this is it, blah, 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 who cares, which I guess, I don't know, it didn't really work for me. And that's when I started to open up to my buddy. And that's kind of how that whole thing evolved where now I have, my friend who is also a psychologist or whatever, and I can talk to him when I'm having those instances. Even even my wife, I talked to her about it, not in great detail, but I talked to her about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that initially though, what I did was I kept it inside and I felt myself like, it wasn't going to be a good place. Like, you know, I was kind of like, I kept it inside. It wasn't being talked about. I, I was, it was eating me up personally. Like I, you know, I, my sister just passed away this other incident. And it was like, man, like, and I, I think I kept revisiting my sister, like, and, and then I would see my family and then, you know, like that whole thing. And I was like, just wasn't a necessarily the greatest timing of, of events. And, uh, in order for me to get it out of my mind and not do like, you know, whatever vice I was going to go to, I, I was able to call my buddy and, and talk to him and getting it out of my brain and just getting it out and being able to talk about it, even being able to, openly talk about it now it still is uh very beneficial than just sitting there dwell on it and think about it in my brain i can talk to it about i can talk to that incident about to anyone about it and uh um but the first you know little bit after that incident it was rough it was it was uh not knowing what to do and not necessarily getting the answers everywhere i looked anyway yeah. so having a if i didn't have my buddy to help me out with that i don't know where i would have turned and, and i think that um, having an avenue within departments 
that if you're going through the issue you and you didn't, I don't know, I think that there should be a person that uh, you could go to without going through necessarily a chain of command or letting everyone know like, Hey, this is causing the issues and I need to, I need help beyond this. And, uh, my department has, uh, I guess like a liaison kind of like that. In other words, not necessarily going through the chain of command and you got to tell 17 people like, Oh, this is what's happening. This is, you can go directly to off the record, I guess off the record, you know, is possible and say, Hey, this is bothering me. I'm having issues. And then they can guide you in a, in a direction without going through an administrative thing in more of a, uh, you know, just a help way, like a seeing a doctor yeah. or whatever, without everyone yeah. finding out about it. So it's completely confidential. As far as I know, yes, it's completely confidential. I, I, I haven't used it. I know that right, right. this is, and it's more of a recent thing. I would say in the past three years, we've been, this has been in place. That's uh, awesome. No, yeah, it was cool. I mean, yeah. again, again, my administration is, uh, I got not, I, you know, very positive, very uh, open-minded to change, very open-minded to progression. And so, yeah, it's, it's, cool. it's cool seeing it. Yeah, for sure. So I would say, um, no, first of all, I'm sorry about your loss with your sister. Oh. That's, that's really it's, difficult. I mean, yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I felt like, you know, I'm giving you a, a virtual, <laughs> virtual hug, you know? I, I appreciate um, it. It was a long so, time ago now, but yeah. It was. It's Okay. A loss is a loss. That's okay. You know? Um, so experiencing a loss there that again, like when we're talking about it, an incident might not be critical depending upon how you're doing and your well-being. So if you experience a loss, if you're experiencing a heightened amount of anxiety, depression, if there's something going on in your life, recently divorced, um, you know, huge financial burden, anything like that. I, I don't know. I'm just like thinking of things off the top of my head. But my point being is that when you have additional stressors in your life, makes you more susceptible to critical incidents really impacting you more than they would if you weren't at, I don't want to say at your best, because it makes it seem like that there's something, you know, a deficit on your end. But if you weren't at your 100%, and I've like, and I've used this like analogy before too. It's, it's kind of like an empty cup and I'm going to take a little bit of water and put it in that cup. That's something that's going to stress me out, you know, in the form of a stressor, I'm going to take another bit of water and I'm going to pour it into that cup and something else is going to happen. That's going to piss me off for the day. I'm going to take another bit of cup. Well, eventually the cup is going to be full and the cup is going to overflow unless we empty the cup proactively. Right. So if the cup is, if you're walking into work with your cup already empty, you're going to spill. It's going to happen. So, I mean, that's just, that's, that's one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about um, and being aware of and being mindful. I hate saying mindful because it's like such a cheesy therapy commercialized word, but being aware of how you're doing mentally and how you're doing physically, um, even when you walk in the door. When, when you're going to work, when you're starting your shift, at the end of your shift, again, going back to that meter, you know, like zero out of 10. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's really important to have people that you can talk to. And what you're saying too is, is true. It is cathartic to literally talk about experiences sometimes and, and get it out. You know, like, yeah, it's uncomfortable and it might be 
emotionally provocative, which is something that we're not used to as first responders, right? So like, even as a therapist, there are times that I've, that I've gotten teary-eyed with my clients. I couldn't help it. I'm a human. So, you know, but I'm taught not to do that, but I'm kind of like, fuck you, man. I'm human. And there are times when me being human really helps people and helps my clients. And there are times when you all as first responders, you're taught to kind of suffocate your needs, to suffocate your emotions. And there are times, there are times when that's helpful. And there are times when that is unhelpful. And being emotionally intelligent means knowing how you feel and reacting to how you feel appropriately. So I've had people tell me like, you know, I don't, I don't want to learn this shit. I don't want to get soft. And I'm like, I'm not here to make you soft idiot. Like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to make you a mental fitness ninja, like red ninja. But really though, I'm, I'm here to help you understand your feelings and your emotions so that you can manage them the best way that you can not avoid them the best way that you can. Cause at the end of the day, your, your, your feelings that you're avoiding are going to come out one way or another. And it looks like a lot of different things. Like you're saying, like your vices, like whatever vice you were going to go to, like that's emotions coming out. That's emotions pouring out one way or another. Um, I think that if we're talking about this, we have to talk about the obvious. The obvious is some of the things that stop people from um, doing that. We've talked about the culture. We've talked about administrative support in doing that. Um, but we have talked about, you know, what I've had people tell me like, I've, Hey man, like I went forward and I talked to somebody and I told them that something was bothering me. They asked me to turn on my gun and get a fitness for duty. I couldn't come back until I was evaluated. Um, I've had other people say like, it's not confidential. The rumor mill starts going around and then, you know, the banter happens. Um, that's state by state though, right? Yeah. Well, and program to program too. It's been so inconsistent and part of the inconsistency makes people hesitant because they don't know what to expect. Right. So maybe proactively setting up programs and then, and then presenting it to staff and saying, this is how this program works in this situation. This is how this, this hypothetical situation will be handled. Here's how here's what we would do. Here's what we plan to do. So I think that it's so shitty to, to respond punitively to people who are telling you that something's bothering them. Don't get me wrong. There's a difference between keeping people safe, people who are going to harm themselves, harm other people, I'm not telling you that you should just, you know, have a peer support rep who doesn't feel equipped to deal with that situation, deal with that situation. You have to refer out when you have to refer out. But there are other situations that I think would warrant more of a informal resolution. Um, informal support would be, you know, something that's, you know, appropriate for certain individuals in certain situations. So I think that those are definitely some things that are stopping people from, from moving forward and, and seeking and talking um, seeking help, talking about things. And 
I really hope to see some of that change soon. And it sounds like your department is like awesome and like ahead of yeah. earth. And I've yeah, talked with sure. other departments that are too. And I try to talk with as many departments that are um, ahead of the ahead of the game and have great peer support programs so that I learn more so that I can talk about that with um, other agencies and other departments that could benefit. But I think we need to acknowledge that that some of that exists and that some of that is what's hindering people from really getting help. And I think that that's really a shame. And if anybody is is listening to this and and that let's you know worst case scenario that's something that you experience in your department then you, you need to know that there are other resources out there for you. There's cop to cop. There's a national suicide prevention lifeline. Um, there's us, right? I mean, yep. we're here. Yep. We're and I, and I was talking with Dennis about this. Like, we're, you, you like all the instructors. Like, you guys are like really turning into like mentors for everybody, um, and people are really coming forward. You know, at the conference, I was working a lot behind the scenes because I had a lot of instructors coming up to me and telling me like, hey, I need resources for this. I need resources for that. Because, you know, people were coming forward and they were in casual conversation, turned into a deeper conversation of people that needed support. So we're here. Like I said, there are other resources. There are peer support resources. Uh, we will get you connected with resources. Um, not every single incident or response to an incident necessarily means that you need or want or should get into therapy. Um, there are a lot of different ways to to handle your stress informally or formally with therapy type of services. We're happy to help get you connected to either. Um, and I think that you talking about that too, Kenny, I think that that, that's what people need to hear. They need to, they need to hear that there's a vulnerability behind stoic faces and admired faces, you know? I don't know about all that, but yeah, I, I, it I, is. I agree that like all of us go through it as a cop. We all go through these incidences and the, uh, the there has to be a way that you cope with it and, and, in a good positive way. I'm not saying like, yeah, I cope with it. Cause I come home and I drink a bottle of booze a night or something like that. Like I, I, if you're coping with stress or traumatic incidents that way, there's, n- there's not many positive things that are going to, out- that are going to be the outcome of it. Yeah. I also, I also don't feel that administrations uh, taking a cop's gun away. Like if, if a cop is to the point where he's coming to you, most men that I might be wrong, but most men, the last thing that they lose is their job. They'll lose their family. They'll lose everything else based on whatever the, you know, their whole stress or depression or whatever. The last thing that most men lose is their job. And if I'm coming to you realizing I lost my wife, I lost my house. I don't see my kids. And I come to the department. I say, look, I am having going through a lot of stuff. And I need help, and then you take my gun away. You just took my job away, my life. Brother broke the camel's back. Yeah, like, and I just don't feel that that I understand it, and I'm not a doctor by any means, but 
I just feel that there's there has to be another way in those situations than than removing. And a lot of times the cops are going to have um, in, in that situation, the people they talk to the most, because who knows what's going on at home, if they've lost everyone else, the only people they're communicating with is other cops. Now you've taken his gun away and you've taken that resource of communication away where now he's just sitting, you know, wherever he's sitting, like nothing. And, and like uh, literally the last lifeline. Yeah, absolutely. So I, right. I don't know. I, I, right. I, I get And it. like you're saying, like, obviously, like if somebody's like, you feel that there's going to be a liability in the sense of like, like hurting yourself, hurting someone else. I understand that because safety comes first. You can't have a job if you're going to end your life, right? Like, I mean, so we need somebody to be stable enough to, to be in that position. We're, you know, let's just say we're both acknowledging that, you know, but I think exactly like what you're saying, I think that there's a twofold. I think like number one, you have to be more proactive and, and setting up programs like this to be more proactive. Let's not wait until that officer loses his family. Let's not wait until they lose everything and now their badge is the last thing to go. We know when someone is suffering. You know how many people I've talked to and, and, and I've unfortunately, it's been many officers who have lost their jobs because of um, illegal activity, let's just say. Um, and when, and when it comes back down through the domino effect, it, it's stress and trauma related to the job. Um, but needless to say, I mean, if we were more proactive, I don't think that we'd get, why, why do we even get that far? You know, that that officer is suffering, you know, that they're out drinking every night, you know, that they're driving drunk, you know, that they're, you know, cheating on their significant other, you know, that they're at the strip club every single night, their wife's going to kill them. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that they're out spending all their money that they're about to lose their house. I'm just giving you different, like high risk kind of behaviors, you know, um, you know, that they're isolating in their house, that they're so depressed that they don't, that they can't get out of bed and do anything, whatever that looks like you know, when someone is suffering based upon, you know, if how their behaviors are, and we know each other well enough to know when somebody's suffering, let's get these programs out there to be more proactive and less punitive to officers. I mean, that's, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> I mean, that's, I feel really strongly about that. No, I, I, I do have a question though. So for example, do you, um, do you see like one traumatic incident where you start to see a domino effect? So say I'm, ha say I'm, ha I'm having stress in general, and then all of a sudden something very critical, very traumatic happens on the job. And then you see that like almost that huge domino falling. And then you see now he's out drinking every night, then he loses, or is it such a gradual thing that it's not noticed until it's, oh shit, that's really a problem. Yeah. Usually it's cumulative and you see it like, more like a domino effect. Um, but it depends on the person, you know, and it depends on what their history is. Like it could just take one incident to reignite something from the past that they're, that they haven't coped with, that they haven't, um, really dealt with, I guess you can kind of say, uh, and that could be enough to really set somebody off. So, um, I think that it's cumulative most of the time, but really it's person specific based upon, them and what their baseline looks like, what they're usually functioning at. Um, 
Is that so, what yeah. makes it? Is that what makes it so hard to, I guess, see as as a as a cop? Me looking at the other guys I work with, is it you? You just see the gradual. As a cop, you see we see things like here it is, and all of a sudden now it's here. But in right. this manner, it's like a gradual steps where maybe we're not noticing all the small things until it's oh shit, what the hell just happened in the past six months? Right. Yeah. Or that person's isolating and they're not giving you any of that information. You can only see what you see on, you know, on duty, so to speak, you know? Yeah. But that, you know, but like I said, I think that you can see personality changes depending upon how emotionally in tune you are or like the type of friendship that you have with that person. Obviously if you're not friends with them. It's going to be harder to pick up on changes because you don't know what they're regularly like. So any yeah. advice, any advice for like, maybe, I don't know, getting guys, getting to know guys on a personal level would be a easier, not even like hang outside out of work, but like, I know, you know, you have a son that plays baseball and they can just gradually like nonchalantly as a supervisor, ask you how that's going or something outside of the, the, the work realm. And then that open communication on a personal level and not a professional level <laughs> would lead them to believe maybe like, Oh, I can't talk to you when I'm having issues or for sure. Or me, as a, or me as a supervisor being able to see it now, like before he was all excited about, you know, his son's baseball team. And now he's like, I don't give a shit. Like kind of having that personal relationship. And I'm not talking about going out. It could be within your work day and you just see him and you have that casual conversation about personal life shit. Yeah. Like ask questions, offer your information. I'm not going to tell somebody more than they tell me. So, and I think again, like that's personality based too. Like I can tell Kenny, you're a genuine guy, you know, and I can, I can feel that. And I feel like most police officers are kind of like dogs. They could sniff out the bullshit. Like you can, why are you asking me these questions? You know, like I can tell that you're a genuine person. Like if you're having a conversation with me um, and you're discussing personal aspects about you or your life, more inclined to share more about myself. And I think that that's probably the number one leadership skill. Know your team and want to know your team. If you don't want to know your team, your team knows that you have no interest in them. So being invested in those people and learning about them as, as people beyond police officers. You know? Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and those are... Yeah, like some of the things that we that I talk about in the training, which actually you'll see soon because some of the guys, some of the instructors are going to be uh, taking my course. I saw that. To help me, to help me. I want to get some feedback from people that I value. So um, awesome. if you're in there, then you'll see that too. And I hope it'll be valuable. I'm sure it will be. It's needed. I know. I hope. Well, I thank you for sharing everything. Yeah, no problem. I think it's needed. Good. Yeah. Did I interrupt you? Yeah, but I was just going to say, I think it's needed for uh, just for cops in general to understand that they're not alone. We all go through it and something traumatic to you might not be traumatic to me and something traumatic to me might not be traumatic to you, but I, I still believe I'm a firm believer in talking about it, having that communication and just in general, just talking. If you don't want to talk to other cops about it, talk to someone about it. Just yeah. to get it out of your mind. The more you keep it in the, your mind, I just feel the more that 
it's going to replay and it can turn into a negative incident. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Definitely. Find somebody that you trust and talk with them about it. Absolutely. And I hope I'm, I hope that I hope I hope that we are that confidant for some people who don't feel that they have that either at their department level or in their personal lives. Um, and I hope to really help them develop the skills to find those, those people for them. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I appreciate the conversation. Um, it's, you know, I, I think that we need to normalize being vulnerable. Definitely. And again, like in part, like that effective leadership, like those skills too, is showing some vulnerability, not to, weaken you or ruin your credibility or anything like that, but to let people know that you do have emotion, that you are vulnerable at times and that it's okay. And that modeling that will do wonders for people and for your team too. So I think that this was really helpful for some people, I hope, and valuable. Yeah. And and beyond, if if anyone needs anything beyond talking to Jen, if you need to talk to me about it, I'm... Yeah. I'm more than willing at any point, especially this stuff. Uh, it's needed. And I don't necessarily think that everyone has the ability to communicate with anyone uh, mm-hmm. sometimes. So if you just need to talk to me, vent, have questions, I'm on, I, I would always be available. I don't, I don't have any type of um, skills like you, but I, I, I would. Uh, yes, you do. I would send them to you if they needed to be that way or, <laughs> or something along those lines. I, w- I would definitely be an open ear though, to, to, yeah. to let them vent or whatever they needed. For sure. And, I th- and that's again, like what we're trying to do. We're trying to take all those skills that you all use out in the field and apply them to your coworkers and your colleagues and yourself. Cause you do have the skills. It's just kind of revamping them a little bit and tweaking them a little bit, but they're there. For sure. If you think so, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. You guys deal with people in crisis all the time. Definitely. You know what it looks like. You know what it feels like. You've seen people in the worst days of their lives. So I I definitely think that you have the skills to apply that to yourself and to each other. I guess I can see what you're going with that. It's okay. I'll make you a believer. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Well, thank you for meeting with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, yeah, so obviously, if you haven't checked out Kenny's class, then you definitely should. My classes will be coming out soon, too. So um, check us out. If anybody needs anything, Jenna Rose at streetcop.com. Um, Kenny, what do you have a street cop email? Yep, Kenny at streetcop. Okay, so yeah. So if anybody wants to reach out to Kenny, uh, we are, we're here to help. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Have a lovely evening. You too. (laughs) Bye. Bye.